Welcome to Elephants in the Room on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Here are your hosts, Joe and Kendall. Turns out, Joe, there is one more person that could stand us. Um, last week we had no guests, but we're back with a Mr. Jason Liu this week. Say hi. Hey, guys. Are you sure? Are you absolutely positive this is, like, a doable thing? Like, I mean, you know, I feel like we could swallow our pride here a little <laughs> bit and not have to have Jason as a guest on, on well, our radio show. It's too late here. Joe, he's he's already in the in the studio sitting uh, with us. He's on third mic. I've been begging for, like, the last four weeks to get <laughs> on here. Regardless, hello everybody. Welcome to the show. We've got a fantastic and wonderful show for you today. Where what are we going to talk about today? Let's see. Uh, what has happened this week? The Prime Minister of UK. There's some news with that. Um, Jason here works for AJ's and the student cafe on campus, and Big he's going to talk to us about that. And Big then news. we've got some developments in the, the Alex Jones story that we talked about last week. Well, let's go ahead and hop right into it. Um, I into think the what? biggest. The the news, as okay. they say, Joe. I think the biggest news this week was coming from the from the mythical place of the United Kingdom. I'm told that it actually exists. Joe, would you like to to take lead on this? That's quite a bit of an assumption. I mean, I I don't know if we're are, are we all clear that we're just going to assume that the United Kingdom is a real place, that Great Britain is a real place filled with uh, mystics and and uh, whatnot. But yeah, no, if it is hypothetically speaking, if it is a real place. Something did happen there uh, this week. Uh, their beloved uh, prime minister, Liz Truss, uh, resigned. Uh, I was going to say passed away, but that was the queen. No, she, she resigned after only a mere 44 days as their uh, prime minister. Uh, and people are thinking, you know, why is, why is she resigning? Uh, could it be that her mission is, in fact, accomplished? The answer is absolutely not. In fact, uh, <laughs> she resigns uh, at probably uh, one of the worst times uh, in uh, you know their their recent history in terms of the energy crisis going on there, in terms of their sort of continued involvement in prolonging the conflict in Ukraine, uh, crippling inflation that's hitting them. Uh, and she just decided to uh, quit after forty four days, which you know may not have been may not have been the worst decision. Uh, we have actually a little bit of audio. Uh, coming from her resignation speech. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our You see, country. it's not my fault, it's Putin's fault. And our fault. country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. So, no, she's, she's gone. She's out. Uh, new guys coming in, new gal coming in. Uh, if, if perhaps you guys remember this headline that I have up from the Washington Post, uh, which states that her cabinet was uh, the UK's first cabinet. Okay, it was the first cabinet without a single white man in in office. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought this was great. A lot of people thought this was uh, stunning and brave. Uh, I don't know. I, I think this is looking to be a bad rep for this uh, <laughs> this new uh, precedent we've got going here. Sounds like some misplaced trust. Oh, man, this guy. That's why we have him on. <laughs> they tried so hard <clears throat> to keep the, keep the white man out of there, yet 
it seems that <laughs> Boris Johnson, he the says very the white man, <laughs> he says the white man. It seems that the the very white, the milk toast white Boris Johnson may he may be coming back is what what rumor has it. So all that work for for Nye. Anyways, I think my favorite thing about this story is that um, like I don't even think a week ago, uh, Trust told she told the Parliament that she's a fighter, not a quitter. Come to find out that that's exactly what she is. I mean, the situation is in in England such that what can a prime minister really do at this point, given like England and like I would say the European Union's dependency in America um, financially and politically, especially in the face of the Ukraine crisis? Yeah, it seems that they have very much uh, taken sort of a backseat role um, in that in in that theater that uh, you know they as well as the rest of the West has painted a lot of the turmoils that. Uh, Trust was talking about in her resignation speech on, you know, uh, we have uh, their suffering actually much more than we are uh, from rising energy prices, uh, from sort of this uh, rely- this struggle to find energy self-sufficiency that they have not had to worry about before this crisis. Uh, you know, all of this stuff that they seem to be playing a uh, quasi-supporting role in um, uh, sort of uh, manifested here in in that resignation speech. I think what's also funny about uh, her resigning, her quitting so soon, despite uh, telling people that she is uh, indeed a fighter, is the fact that she will now. She she actually just surpassed uh, the um, quota of days that she had to be prime minister to sort of receive her uh, political pension. For <laughs> uh, so she's looking at making about for doing absolutely nothing, uh, just simply having the title of prime minister for 44 or 45 days, looking at making about roughly uh, 115,000 pounds a year for the rest of her life. Uh, and I think that that's just fantastic. You know, she gets way in, too heavy in my <laughs> she, opinion. She's in there and then sees that stuff's bad. Writing on the wall is not looking good for her. Gets out, gets to keep the bag, as the kids say. She got the bag real good. And uh, no, she's she's making she's making a clean getaway with that money. It looks like I don't know. It might just be for my cousins because they do live like a sizable portion of my family does live in the UK. But um, like everyone has been talking about, I guess like the looming energy crisis this winter. Like from like a Britain that's traditionally very coal based um, has trouble, you know, with green energy, with energy in the 21st century. And I think like, well. It's coming and it's here and like if Liz Trust can't do it, who can? <laughs> if Liz, yeah, no, I mean it's so weird talking about that. Like we sort of subconsciously equate all of the West as being uh, this uh, marginally similar area when it comes to economic prosperity, and uh, you know that's simply even as bad as things are getting right now from an economic standpoint. Like I can't imagine uh, having being faced with uh, the possibility of you know, these looming blackouts that are these rolling blackouts. I mean, they're talking about in uh, that being the case even before uh, the resignation, uh, that being already the case in Britain. I know uh, there's that big deal that was kind of big this summer um, and probably I would suspect is going to make a reappearance in the news come winter. But uh, Spain now mandating uh, temperature uh, climate controls in individual people's houses. And that's just, you know, a lot of people talk about how you know, bad things have gotten, uh, you know, especially your uh, let's go Brandon people. But, you know, it's 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 hard to believe it getting that bad. Like, at, at least we're not like we're not at that stage yet. And I say that very cautiously. When I was younger, I think like Americans sort of had this view of, of Europe as like um, 
especially like when Bernie started running for president that Europe sort of had like this ideal, I guess like democratic socialist yeah. sort of economic system. And I think like, especially recently, given the war in Ukraine, given the energy crisis, it's becoming really clear how much a lot of that is dependent on American energy, American money, American military power. And it's just kind of sad for me to see like a lot of that, I guess, a lot of that support, a lot of those like ideal, you know, nation or nations or systems we could look up to sort of like falling away. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of falling away uh, on a societal level, uh, I hear there's big news, big news coming out of our in-school cafeteria, uh, in-school cafe. I don't know. AJ's. Yes. AJ's cafe. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Jason, I understand you have you have an employment at this on-school cafe. Is that right? That's true. I've been working there since February of last year. A, a real working man you are. Um, you've not been working for the same employer this whole time, though, have you? That's right. Uh, we recently changed to Mets instead of um, Bon Appetit. Uh, the Bone, <laughs> as some of the kids call it. The Bone. Horrible name. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about the changes that have been made specifically at AJ's as a result of that, Jason. Well, there's been a lot of changes, actually. Um... First of all, the grab-and-go company changed. Um, it's now being run by a different company. So the food's edible this year? Actually, I would say the options have definitely gotten better. Um, you have things like chocolate pudding. You have um, eclair dippers, I think is what it called, pretzels and hummus. And I remember a lot of the complaints were that the grab-and-go food wasn't fresh. As a matter of fact, a lot of it was sold at expiration day. <laughs> and this year, I think things are definitely looking up. Day before expiration day. We are <laughs> definitely, definitely making some progress in that. Do they have pockies? They do actually. I only I only eat pockies every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> I, yep. I get I, I differentiate some of the flavors to make sure that you know I'm getting a healthy balance. But no, if they that was that was going to be a deal breaker for me actually coming to this school. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that that's that's been a change that's been implemented after my uh, many requests. Mm-hmm. As Hillsdale, I think, sort of reaches more national status. Um, a lot of I would say like the student amenities are receiving upgrades, especially given the amount of attention it's receiving. Hills is now on par with a lot of the liberal arts colleges across, I would say, the East Coast, even the West Coast. And one of the biggest complaints for students for a long time was that there just weren't enough food options or the food wasn't good. And I think that AJ's is at the center of sort of this modernization process when it comes to giving students benefits that other schools, in other schools, students are receiving. Now, maybe you can more like, uh, from a uh, more informed standpoint, comment on this. A lot of the, the issues I've heard uh, are like have to do really if you look at like the source of some of these issues with uh, sort of allocation of you know uh, duties when it comes to the uh, workforce as well as you know people having to wait in line. Uh, I know that there's a uh, massive uh, lunch rush that uh, a lot of the upperclassmen are telling the freshmen that you know you need to avoid like try to plan your classes so that you have class during noon. Because if you have the misfortune of getting into the cafeteria at noon, you're going to be waiting, you know, 25, 30 minutes. And, you know, I have personal experience from doing this uh, just to get, you know, some of the last bit of food because everybody goes there. Um, And, you know, a lot of this seems to be, uh, from my own interpretation, uh, centered around uh, sort of our one location, our one cafeteria. It's all centralized in one building. And, you know, you were talking about as we become more like some of these other liberal arts colleges, you know, a lot of those places have, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, I've seen individual dorms, buildings having their own cafeteria, uh, perhaps on a smaller scale as our one uh, or, you know, just even multiple uh, cafeterias. Uh, You know, I don't know if that's something that might contribute to a lot of the uh, 
complaints, past, present, and perhaps future, uh, that some people have. But you know, that's that's just one of the things I've noticed. That definitely is a big problem. Um, in the start of the year, there was a big problem with, I guess, getting people swipes to go through, especially down the cafeteria, which made um, our work upstairs a lot harder as people looked for alternatives and grab and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big problem is that we have a kitchen upstairs that supplies hot food. We currently only have one guy that works in there. And so what you're seeing is that um, people order at noon and there's order after order. And you, you can have as many guys in the front as you can, but there's only one guy in the back making your chicken Caesar wraps or your grilled cheeses. And so often people's orders can take up to an hour or even two hours. And that's a system that's pretty much non-sustainable. And so I think like given that Hillsdale basically only has two options for students to eat lunch or dinner, when one system sort of like takes longer or it's sort of failing, the other system really feels it, which is why, you know, a lot of time you can't find seating downstairs um, or, you know, your food takes longer upstairs. And a lot of my friends at other colleges, they have, as you said, they have their own dining, they, they have dining halls in their own um, dorms. I think like I have a friend that I talk to when I go back home and she goes to Yale and there is literally a cafeteria in every dorm, in every dorm. And I think there's maybe like 17 cafeterias across all of campus. And there's massive food wastes associated with that naturally. But I think if Hillsdale wants to expand, then they're going to need to create more options. I think Old Snack Bar was actually created to do that. But given that it doesn't fall under the charger change, meal right. swim thing, not many people are using it. Not executed well. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, <clears throat> but it seems like uh, because of some of these minor issues uh, that result in longer food times, especially downstairs in the dining hall. Uh, would you say that you've seen an uptick in people coming to eat their meals um, from AJ, whether that's grab-and-go or ordering from the kitchen? Definitely, definitely. And a lot of the options that that Mets is providing as opposed to Bon Appetit, the chicken Caesar app especially, um, it's pretty popular. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of students get it. When I'm working at the Lunch Rush, half the time people order, I guess, the chicken Caesar wrap. And now... I don't exactly order from the kitchen all that often, but I do get the the grab and go um, on probably a weekly basis. And uh, at least in my opinion, compared to last year, the options are significantly better. And even compared to the dining hall, some days the grab and go options are still better. So um, I think it really creates some issues when the the large scale dining hall um, food is not nearly as good as the tiny cafe that they have upstairs. I'm not sure I'm completely attuned to popular opinion, but it does seem like a lot of students prefer this this year's Saga food or the downstairs cafeteria food to last year's. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Very few Hillsdale students actually know, but the, the AJ at AJ's Cafe is actually short for Alex Jones. Joe, I believe we have some <laughs> some updates on the Alex Jones story that we covered last week. You know, I, I uh, you sent some of this stuff to me, and I, I didn't know if they to if they were updates or if this was like a parody. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I did some uh, investigative journalism myself. I did, um, and uh, it's uh, it's it's quite uh, trifling. Uh, some of the stuff that's coming out of uh, the continued ruling. So, you know, we talked about last week how uh, Alex Jones was uh, uh, basically the fam- the families of uh, victims who Alex Jones allegedly defamed uh, were awarded nearly a billion dollars in uh, damages, you know, from, from this uh, defamatory action taken from uh, Jones allegedly. Um, they recently reached a uh, – basically, they, they have now gone back to the jury – 
and ask that he be that a billion dollars was not enough. Yeah, they're asking now for two point seven five trillion dollars from Jones. Uh, they calculated this as the maximum possible um, punitive damages because they multiplied the $5,000 fine um, per violation by his 550 million social media exposures. When you compare that to fines that other people get, as we talked about last week, O.J. Simpson or um, Jason, I think you have stats here about the 2008 crisis. Yep. Um, the largest fine paid by a banking executive responsible for the 2008 financial crisis was actually $67.5 million, which is a pretty small fraction of that number. Uh, you guys want to hear another one? Yeah. Uh, from 1945 to 2018, the German government paid approximately $86.8 billion in restitution and compensation to Holocaust victims. Hmm. So the the government of Nazi Germany uh, paid less in... Uh, in uh, reparations for the Holocaust than uh, the family of uh, who have been defamed. This is a verbal crime, if any, by Alex Jones. Yeah, a lot of people are pointing pointing to this, you know, not necessarily from a statement of agreeance with Jones. Uh, and this is kind of, I guess, where I stand on this. It seems very punitive. Like, it seems very showy. Like, it's like, you know, don't question the regime. Don't, you know, question the narrative. Even if, you know... We're talking, this is obviously the extreme, you know, saying that yeah. Sandy Hook was uh, perpetrated by crisis actors in the government. That's obviously extreme, but like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing, it's a headline that, you know, gets in your head, and the punishment for that ought to also be something that gets in your head, so you know not to question the regime, not to question the narrative. And, you know, like I was saying, this is definitely the extreme case of that, but this seems to have uh, implications, especially on... Uh, a uh, smaller scale, uh, particularly maybe with sort of uh, the vaccine mandates, the travel mandates, some of the, uh, we'll call it uh, interpretation uh, that the elites are pitching to us for uh, some of the financial data that's coming out uh, in light of the midterm. So it, it's very much a, uh, it seems like a punitive case of uh, someone who had the wrong opinion about something and uh, is now being punished, uh, punished very severely, you know, 12 or two point uh, two point seven five trillion dollars. That's some. That's that's a good bit more than some some small countries' uh, GDPs. So most, I would say. Yeah, most. Yeah, and going back to two thousand eight. I mean, given the fact that I think the British Journal of Psychiatry found that more than ten thousand suicides were linked to the economic crisis of two thousand eight globally. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a global event. Um, actually, my family actually found itself in Singapore because you know my dad was fired from his job as a result of that. Like, given this huge economic upheaval, you know, which the government build the banks out for, it really is a question of not what you do or who you are, but which side of the line you fall on. Well, yeah. And then like, you know, these, these massive bankers, like 30, what would you say? 36 million? What, what was the number? Um, 67.5 67.7. That's, that's nothing. That's nothing to these people. To Jones, you know, Jones, as, as popular as he is, he's just a, he's just a nice little kook. Yeah, I don't think InfoWars exactly brings in $2.75 trillion. <laughs> he said after the first, after it originally came out that he'd have to pay a billion, that he was not entirely sure how he was going to pay it because he does not have that much money on hand, obviously. I mean, in the trillions, like, that's ridiculous. I mean, like, I don't think I don't think CNN or Fox News or any of those companies are valued in the trillions. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we can't get $5 billion for a wall. <laughs> yeah. You know? It just it just shows you that they don't actually care about these families and um, what happened to them. They're not seeking, 
you know, to regain what they lost financially. It's, it's such an absurd number. It's clear that because of all of the other things that Jones has said um, over his career, all of the all of the right wing things that the left despises, that they're just trying to get him in any way they can. And this is this is how it happened. Well, my big thing also too with this is like, you know, they're trying him for defamation. This is probably at the end of the day, regardless of the verdict and. Uh, well, I mean, the verdict's already been reached. Regardless of the of the damages awarded to these, uh, you know, alleged victims, this is going to end up being the most punished for defamation case probably in history. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from a legal standpoint, I feel like in order, especially with the uh, free speech laws that we have here, uh, I, I feel like there, there has to be damages, like at, on on the most aesthetic case, reputational damages at least. For this to be considered defamation, and you know, I I, I simply don't think that 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 occurred, and uh, you know, in any other circumstance, this would definitely have gotten thrown out of court, defamation. But you know, I feel like, like you said, Kendall, because uh, these are uh, this was a a narrative that was being questioned by a uh, right wing conspiratorial figure like Alex Jones, as famous as popular as he is, uh, regardless of how that's prop that popularity is interpreted he had to be punished and he had to be punished publicly. Well, speaking of cracking down on domestic dissent, I have a home to get back to. Thank you, everybody. For I got to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. Uh, we will be back with the news, with the funnies, uh, with everything that you enjoy or dread about this show next week. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank Jason Liu for coming on. Thanks for be having me. Being a great guest. Uh, doing all of the things, checking all the boxes, signing his name on the NDA that we will make him sign after the show. Um, and we will see you all on the show next week. <laughs>